Hello and welcome to UX Maturity. This is a podcast about the challenges and joys of being a UX and product designer in the tech industry. We cover a variety of design topics each week. I'm your co-host Sandrine. And I'm your co-host Susan. If you'd like to find out a little bit more about us, you can find us on Twitter at UX underscore maturity. And we also have a website, uh, which is uxmaturitypodcast.com. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can also buy us a coffee in the link in the description below. And if you would like to give us any sort of feedback or review, it would be great if you can rate us on any of the platforms that you're listening into. It's always helpful for us to know how we're doing. This week, we are going to be tackling our last discovery topic as part of our theme and we're going to be talking about dealing with ambiguity and we are also halfway through season three because this is episode 45 i can't believe we've been already doing this for a couple of months or more uh it's been going super fast basically <laughs> veterans now yeah especially you that that season for you well second season <laughs> anyway um let's dive in into our topic of this week so dealing with ambiguity susan um maybe you could tell us about what we mean by ambiguity and what is ambiguity in the context of design discovery i don't know if i'm technically correct or not but to me ambiguity in general is um uncertainty uh not having all the answers um uh, having holes in your knowledge, uh, information gap, uh, yeah, not not having certainty. Um, and when it comes to discovery, to me, ambiguity is um, an uncertainty uh, in 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 the insights you're gathering, or ambiguity, or sorry, uh, uncertainty in whether or not you're asking the right questions, and also uncertainty in the extent to which you can comfortably navigate the next few steps of your discovery process. Um, and by, by that, I mean, um, by that, I mean, having uncertainty in what unknown unknowns, unknown <laughs> unknowns, I struggle saying that, um, in having uncertainty in what unknown unknowns might come in and throw um spanner in the works in in your discovery work i don't know is spanner in the works that's an english term right yeah so like m mess up your discovery work so as as an sort of obvious <laughs> example i think anyone who was doing discovery in in the beginning of 2020 <laughs> was suddenly faced with the unknown unknown or maybe it was a bit known <laughs> anyway um, suddenly some macro macro event like a global pandemic comes in and messes up um messes up the plan you had for discovery so um i i'm guessing in in a sense ambiguity is a bit wider than ju just uncertainty as well ambiguity is um a little bit like uh, the inability to predict um unpredictable events perhaps whereas uncertainty is uh, maybe more like um in the beginning of a process you just by by logic you know less and then you can you can work your way through knowing more and more as uh, so it's a bit more predictable. I don't know. I'm talking myself into a hole, but something around that. I think a lot of people can relate to this. <laughs> yeah, I guess just even defining ambiguity is ambiguous in itself. 
Um, I, I I do like what you said, actually, and that's uh, I do see it the same way. I would also say that sometimes I find that ambiguity is when you just have really not much idea of where you are and how far you are from the end. And sometimes just the, the thing that you're trying to understand is just generally very complex and there's a lot of variables that you don't particularly understand as well that are not known to you. So I think that also adds to the ambiguity where, yeah, it just feels like that massive, I don't know, it's like you're in the fog and you're just trying to kind of figure out yeah, step by step where you're going. Sometimes it can feel a little bit like like that. Um, when do you think we consider that a discovery project like is or has become ambiguous? Do I don't know, like when when would it typically happen if if we can even pinpoint such a thing? I don't know if uh I don't know if there's a specific there are specific points in which we say um that something is or isn't ambiguous because by nature or or inevitably it'll always be ambiguous because a discovery project will always be ambiguous because there's no way you're going to be able to find out absolutely everything uh, under the sun um, when it comes to yeah learning about users or learning about how how a product is doing um I mean, you could, but then you'd spend forever and no one wants to do that. So in one way, um, discovery is inherently always ambiguous. It'll always have a degree of ambiguity. But um, I guess maybe to kind of reframe your question, it's about the, the, the degree of that ambiguity. Like when, you have, when, you, when do you have more ambiguity, greater degree of ambiguity, and when do you have uh, a lesser degree of ambiguity? I, I think my knee-jerk reaction actually initially was to say it's more ambiguous in the beginning because you haven't started learning that much yet and it becomes less ambiguous. But then I thought about the non-linearity of discovery sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, yep. <laughs> and, and and then I was like, um, I'm thinking out loud, but then I thought about maybe you're, maybe a discovery project in and of itself is the least mm-hmm. ambiguous in the beginning sometimes because that's when you have that's when you think you have clear goals clear research questions you've ne- you've, you've listed all your assumptions you're pretty like okay these are our unknowns and uh, we're gonna we know how to we know who to speak to to figure out these unknowns and answer these research questions and test our assumptions we know what what experiments to run to test our assumptions and then sometimes it progressively becomes more ambiguous <laughs> as you learn things that completely completely invalidates your assumptions and you have to sometimes pivot or sometimes adapt um so yeah all that to say i think there are different degrees of up and down ambiguity throughout a project just depending which i suppose makes me want to ask you sandrine do you do you think do you think ambiguity is something that we should avoid in discovery or something that we need to accept or is it something we embrace? That's a very good question. Um, I think this is something we should embrace simply because when you are stepping into the unknown by trying to find out more about your users or about a problem that you don't know much about, you're going to be stepping out of your comfort zone by kind of doing this and you're going to get into waters that you know, you might be comfortable and 
um, I guess you might be you might be used to the design process itself, but what you're gonna go through and what learnings you're gonna have and what insights you're gonna discover and what you should do off the back of that. This is, you cannot predict any of these things. And if you're trying to control this, you might actually not go and explore a path that you should go on and explore. So I think embracing it is really important in that, from that perspective that you should be totally okay of not knowing where you're going to land by the time that you have defined your problems. And I think you need to become comfortable with that idea because that this doing this allows you to actually really gives you that um, that breathing room to go and discover what, what real problem you should be solving out there and not just trying to, yeah, apply a mold and be like, I already have an idea what problem it is. And then having a very, very, it's like you're putting what is it called like you're putting things um you're just being a bit blindsided basically by like you're just only seeing one direction and yeah the discovery process does never have one path it it goes through a maze and yeah eventually you come out on the other hand sometimes you don't particularly know how or when but you usually do know when you're at the end of the maze so yeah i think this is super essential to embrace the ambiguity, to to make sure that you you do you do explore the right problems. I think um, a lot of, a lot of people are really uncomfortable with things that are ambiguous and actually living in that ambiguity during the discovery process, especially with highly complex projects that um, you know can be quite risky as well and can obviously drive a lot of impact in a negative or positive way um that ambiguity can really freak out people and they don't particularly know what to do with it so um yeah i was wondering how do you deal with being uncomfortable with ambiguity when that happens yeah it's a it's a good question i i think it's very natural to be uncomfortable dealing with ambiguity i think as humans we want certainty from from a psychological safety point of view we want to know you know what what are we dealing with here what are what we want an extent of predictability and so i think it's very natural for a lot of people to be uncomfortable when things are ambiguous i think uh, different things might work for different people um this is going into <laughs> therapy session but what what helps for me is to to talk openly about that things are very ambiguous and that you're a bit uncomfortable with it uh, that's helped me in the past for for example and that this is a very predictable uh predictable instance of ambiguity is when is when you join a new company and and you're learning a complex new area new teammates new product new industry new new everything um and i think maybe in the, maybe when i was much more junior i i would not be so open about the the discomfort i was facing uh in in like oh i don't know what's going on help and um so i just sat with it and was very very uncomfortable for a while uh, which is again inevitable but then i then i started you know i started just saying that i was uncomfortable and that it was okay like i'm uncomfortable now i'm gonna be less uncomfortable but right now i'm really like i'm i'm feel i 
I'm very overwhelmed or um and and I can be that like that in the beginning of new projects as well actually this makes me think about how whenever I start a new especially new greenfield projects um my my least favorite part is the very beginning when when I don't know where to start or I don't know I'm so overwhelmed by all the unknowns uh and and I will always say like oh this is my least favorite part of the project and what helps me deal with that is when other people are also like yeah yeah I hate this part as well or if other people join a company recently or or a while ago if if I say like I'm oh I'm I'm so overwhelmed and it's, I don't know anything or I feel like there's so many things I need to learn about this new company uh, it really helps when other people say yeah I felt the same so like having I guess what I'm trying to say is voicing your discomfort and having it validated back from other people <laughs> helps me um but I'm curious I'm I'm sure there are lots of other ways of dealing with it how do, how do you usually deal with this yeah, I very much feel the same um, when you're saying that I, that you struggle with ambiguity when at the beginning of projects and, and stuff like that. Sometimes I do have this as well. Or sometimes it also happens, obviously, when we are in the middle of discovery and there's a lot of insights and there's a lot of questions. Or, or even sometimes you just feel a little bit stuck where you just don't really know. You have a bunch of insights and you're like, where do I go from here? And your your brain is trying to process everything. And sometimes I can feel really overwhelmed in those moments. Um, what I usually do, and it usually gets me out of that hole, <laughs> is uh, a few things. So sometimes I just give myself a day. Uh, this just helps to let your brain mute over things. And then randomly, um, you'll be like, oh, yeah, I could do this. Uh, it would just randomly pop out in your head. Or... I've started, uh, especially since the pandemic, uh, because everything was online, I started using platforms like Miro a lot more to just visualize my thinking. And that has helped tremendously because uh, before I used to do that on whiteboards and walls, I used to just take the entire office wall for my projects. <laughs> now it's much more manageable in Miro. I, I, I think it's really helpful because you can just put, just Every piece of information that you have in your brain, you can just put it out there. You're not going to forget it thanks to this. It's out there. You can go back to the information if you need it later. And you can also start combining uh, visually the insights. And you can start seeing patterns better. You can start really thinking through, yeah, that uh, bunch of insights together and have that visual view on this. For me, is really helpful because if I only try to compute that in my head, Honestly, I just cannot do it. I, I really like get super overwhelmed. So that has been really helpful. And it also helps bringing in other people into the process with me because everything also is out there. It's visual. People can easily jump in my process and I just need to run them over what process and what questions were asked so far and where we are in the process and they have all the information in front of them. So it's really helpful in that perspective. Um so yeah, this is what I do. So yeah, I guess give yourself time, visualize your thinking and bring in other people as well um, because that also always really helps 
when you feel stuck or when you feel a bit overwhelmed um, by the ambiguity of a project. Sometimes just having someone coming in, they might discover a new pattern for you. They might ask a question you didn't consider. They might also just, you know, get stuck in the muddiness with you and try to work things out and you can bounce ideas of each other. And that's always super helpful. Um, so, yeah. This is what I usually do. Yeah, absolutely love that. And it makes me realize I, I, I do those things a lot myself. I think when you talk about visualizing things in Miro, you're basically sense making, sense making your way through all the information and all the, uh, yeah, the, all the different insights that you're trying to wrangle. I, I do similar things in Miro. And also because I'm a bit, I tend to think in text more than visual I do both but I also like to just open a google doc and brain dump in in words and and that helps it it, it definitely helps reduce the discomfort of of keeping all of the stuff in your head and yeah big big plus one on bringing other people in as well I it just it helps uh, massively even even just having them ask very basic questions or less basic questions it helps kind of jog your your thinking process and and make sense of things in a better way. So, yeah. I would also add that it also helps to just think about it in terms of this is the ambiguous part of the of the process and it always happens. And there's some parts of it that are enjoyable in itself as well. So trying to just try to, I guess, just go with the flow and not get stuck on like, oh my god what's happening with this project that something just doesn't help so yeah for me i just try to be like i always figure it out i will figure it out it will come in time <laughs> and i try to just chill and just yeah run run with the flow and I, I mean i don't know if it helps anyone obviously to hear this but yeah that that usually works for me as well and and also sometimes for me if um if i accept that and go with the flow or even take it a step further and yeah well embrace ambiguity like we talked about um very often I find that when I do reach some sort of aha moment or an answer to a question um or get results from an experiment or whatever when I disambiguate the ambiguous situation um uh, when I reach that point and it turns out that I was my initial assumptions were wrong that you know like I thought some. I thought A in the beginning, but it wasn't clear. It was ambiguous. Let's go find out if it is A, and then it turns out to be B. I, I actually quite love that. I love being proven wrong. Um, yes, big and I'm time. Trying, <laughs> yeah. and, and I'm I'm trying to figure out why I love being wrong so much. And I I, I guess it's, I guess to me maybe I'm a bit weird, but being being proven wrong through all this hard work and like thinking and sense making and being confused and overwhelmed and and like ah uh, like here's the answer I was wrong it it validates all that work <laughs> yes it absolutely does <laughs> yeah so in in a lot of our episodes we've talked about um stakeholders and bringing other people in and you know design isn't done in a vacuum um how do you find how do you find other people uh in the business other stakeholders or teammates who who aren't necessarily designers how do you find that they deal with ambiguity or don't deal with ambiguity <laughs> yeah i think 
sometimes non-designers obviously will be less accustomed to design process, which uh, is kind of natural. And they will not particularly be uh, accustomed to ambiguity. And they might be in a function that is a lot more, I guess, I don't know, not not data-driven, but it's very... Um, how, how can I even express this? I don't know. They have a much more clear line, um, I would say, and they really define things early on and then they're just set to the task, I guess. It's much more linear. They don't go through the crazy maze of uh, design discovery. So I think there's something that is not really used to them and they see this sometimes as very risky because it feels like, you know, you're going to go on and on and on and ask questions, not sure where you're going to end up um, when you could actually go on and set to do this thing, which seems much more obvious to them because you can do it right now. Uh, even though obviously with the knowledge that we have, we, we know that it might not be the best thing to do because it might not be the right problem to solve. So yeah, I do find that sometimes it's more that perception of risk. I think that don't, that for them, the risk is in spending that time researching and trying to find the right problem as opposed in, in final problem, sorry, was for us, the risk is actually to not solve the right problem. So I guess it's about doing a bit of that gymnastic of uh, explaining to, to them why we think their approach as well is risky and, and why we are doing that part of the process in that way to actually alleviate that part of the risk and try to also help them understand how that does benefit the team, the business and so forth. So yeah, I guess it's just we don't have that same perception of risk. I think it probably is where it comes from. Mm, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I, I think I think a lot of us recognize ourselves in those situations, um, and it's it's not necessarily that we disagree. It's just that we we just as you as you describe that we have different vantage points. Almost we're like we're we have different perspectives on on a similar thing. Um, how how do we get on the same page with non-designer stakeholders or how do we align uh, when it comes to dealing with ambiguity? Yeah, it's a great question. I think, again, this will be something that needs to be tailored to, to the person and whatever concern they have with ambiguity. I think usually I try to clarify my process and what it is about and what it seeks to do and why it is valuable to, to consider doing it right now. I think I usually try to have this conversation and then I try to take on the ambiguity part as much on my shoulders as I can, I would say. So try to, um, I guess it depends which stakeholder we're talking about. I think um, if we're talking about PM, they should probably live in the ambiguity with you a bit more than a then I don't know, a uh, uh, C-suite person who is um, more looking at your project from a very high level perspective, I think. So obviously adapting to this, but the the high level, obviously the stakeholder, you probably want to just, you know, give them an overview of the milestones that you've reached and actually give them that sense of process and how that progression through the process does benefit the business and the team to get to the right outcome. I think if the stakeholder that is struggling with ambiguity is much closer so like a product person for example yeah i think they do need to build them also being comfortable in the ambiguity and again i guess it's having this conversation around um maybe i don't know 
oh, this is uh, this is actually quite challenging. I think what what usually I try to do is more around trying to frame the discovery in a, in a way that is a bit less frightening to them. So, you know, detailing, having a strong research plan and making sure that we are in the right scope, I guess, and not trying to address things or discover things that we don't need to discover, making sure that we have a clear objective of how to use that research as well, that uh, we can also make some hypotheses, you know, that we have right now and that it's more around we think we should validate these hypotheses before we move further into solving them. And framing in that way is a bit more, I guess some people respond a bit more to that because there's like, okay, yeah, we have an hypothesis. Let's try to validate it or not. And it helps them to frame. And then I guess if you validate or invalidate, it's almost irrelevant because you at least you have that frame. So yeah, I guess you can kind of try to approach it from these different angles. What about you, Susan? What have you tried so far? Yeah, I, I, uh, I, so much of what you say resonate with me. Um, and uh, to add to it, um, I think what what helps for me in helping stakeholders get on the same page with ambiguity is to um, to make sure, or to to the best of our ability, uh, make discovery activities as uh, as short and frequent uh, as possible. So that's not to say, you know. All, just only do small research projects but but how can you um, you mentioned hypotheses right so how can you um, instead of instead of spending I don't know three months uh, like figuring out uh, testing one or two hypotheses and not having an answer until the, until three months have passed how do you split those hypotheses into smaller hypotheses that you can test um at a much higher cadence so maybe learn something weekly and then and then have this loop of learning discovery disambiguate some things maybe increase ambiguity of other things but but also by by involving stakeholders in this weekly for example cadence of testing learning testing learning discovering um you help them see that um that the process of, of doing discovery and, and and learning and embracing that you don't know everything um it, it helps them understand that oh, there's one there's value in doing this two um, we de we de risk uh, things by 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 trying to figure out uh, some of these ambiguous things and, and learn and, and and three that sometimes things become more ambiguous for example if we if we were really certain about a thing and we test an hypothesis about that thing and we, it turns out that we're wrong and we're less certain way less certain than um, I found that that aha moment that ah, right, we don't we were actually wrong about this thing, and it's really important that we nail this thing. Um, how do how do we go about doing that um, by bringing stakeholders along into more frequent discovery activities? Um, I think yeah, it's it's a classic case of I guess learning by doing or show don't tell or <laughs> one of those. Um, so that that helps as well. Bites bite-sized chunks of discovery yeah that makes sense <laughs> i was wondering um obviously we've talked about how we should be embracing ambiguity and and all this which is which is great but i guess there are times where um i guess maybe there are times where we shouldn't go down the path of embracing ambiguity so I was wondering, when do you know when it's okay to embrace it and when is it not okay, actually, and you should try to, 
I guess, refocus yourself, if that makes sense? Yeah, great question. I suppose to think a bit high level about this, um, I think it's you need to be careful about embracing ambiguity or be a bit more resistant to ambiguity when the subject matter, the thing you're dealing with, is extremely high risk. Uh, for example, um, is this a risk thing? I don't know. I'm going to go with it. For example, you might have a really hard deadline. Of course, as designers, as, as product people, we dislike deadlines, but sometimes they exist and they are real. Um, and uh, you don't have time to to be too wrong, <laughs> I suppose. Uh, and that's when you have to really, really prioritize hard and, and get as much certainty as you can because everything hinges on a deadline. Or, um, of course, when um, the thing you're dealing with is extremely sensitive and, and you really can't afford being wrong. It could be you're dealing with people's um, health or vulnerable people or children or, you know, anything like that. So I guess it's a question of how much is at stake uh, right, like as not all of us are dealing with extremely high stake uh, things in, in our discovery work, but some of us are. Uh, yeah, life and death, like actually life and death. Yeah, I would also add that for me, sometimes I just consciously close doors that appear to me throughout uh, discovery and I guess open Pandora boxes that I, I frankly do not want to open right now. And I know that I don't want to open them because um, as a team, we know that we do we do not have the capacity, the resource, or just it's just not it's, a, it's not aligned with our objective to solve that kind of problem just yet. So sometimes I would just gently close that door and go back and just, I guess, focus back on what I did discover and try to either go deeper into that or uh, move on to the next stage if I've learned enough. And sometimes I guess that's also um, a reflection to have when like, because when you do discovery, you've got multiple doors opening and you have to decide, do I want to engage with that door or not? And sometimes there are some that you just frankly do not want to because they will increase the scope of your project so much. It might increase the risk uh, level of your project as well because it might start affecting more areas of the products and so forth and it might become more costly to actually explore that because that means that whatever problem you're getting out of this will mean more technical implementation to solve and you can already get a loose sense of these things you know like when we're talking about um, simplifying and improving a feature versus completely rewriting it for example and reviewing the way it works like these are the kind of like calls that you can see when discovery sometimes it can go one way or another and you have to decide you know does your team actually have the capacity and is it aligned with your objectives to completely review from scratch that functionality or is it good enough for your users right now to actually just simplify or just revisit some aspects of that flow that you currently have in place? So I guess, yeah, these are the kind of some nice trade-offs that you can make as well. And that can help you a little bit anchor yourself back to reality um, during those ambiguous moments. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it makes sense. And uh, focus is, of course, a key word here. Um, I tend to try and focus ambiguity, ambiguity, disambiguity, confusing discovery. I tend to focus it on, okay, what are the most impactful activities I should be doing now? Um, what has the most value? And then do that from 
from the point of our objectives or goals, like focusing, focusing on on those. Um, and that can be from both the end of embracing ambiguity and 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 seeking clarity by disambiguating something. Um, Susan, do you think I would say we? We go through discovery and we know it's going to be ambiguous. Um, but do you think the ambiguity ever goes away, even in the later parts of the design process? And do we ever get to a point where we have absolute clarity? Have you ever had, yeah, I guess, do you have an example where that happened or do you not think that actually happens? I'm really hesitant to give a yes or no uh, answer to this because I, uh, I, I think... Again, it's like a question of extent. So um, it does often happen that discovery, a, a piece of discovery that initially is very ambiguous becomes a lot less ambiguous. Um, but then there are always unknown unknowns. Um, so, yeah. And then on the other, on the flip side of that, I, I wouldn't say... I wouldn't say... Um, a piece of discovery ever is always ambiguous it's to go back to my my one of my initial points i think it it waxes and wanes is that is that, is that the uh expression so it's not linear i think it, yeah it's not like 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 we talked about it ambiguity isn't necessarily something that starts with it's very ambiguous and then it linearly becomes less ambiguous i think it it bounces up and down um sometimes by forces in our control um we uh, so those forces being we ask the right questions we test the right assumptions we involve the right people we sense make um and sometimes totally out of our control and i think perhaps it's it's the part about that everything we do has forces outside of our control and and therefore there will always be that like that that piece of yeah uncertainty or ambiguity in everything we do yeah, I I agree with you. I do think sometimes there are these, I guess that's what you were referring to when you said that um, aha moment where you feel like you've put, you've put your finger on something that makes sense and that is relevant. And often for me, these happen when I can actually catch a breath and I am able to explain the problem in one clear sentence. And then suddenly it's like, oh my God, I have managed to actually compute that problem into a sentence that is clear and that makes sense. And I can actually visualize how that problem impacts my audience and how solving it would really benefit the business. Usually that kind of comes together. And also I can start envisioning, I guess, you know, how we might start actually solving that problem. And yeah, usually I have that vision that comes to, to mind where I, I, literally laser focused on the problem and that's when I can I can tell when I'm ready to move on and there are some discoveries that stay ambiguous where I don't get to that point but we do need to move on because you know deadlines and time and so forth and I do feel like when that happens it, it really impacts my ability to ideate with focus because again I'm still I'm still debating the problem in my head because even though I have still you know I still have a statement obviously to work from but I'm, yeah, I'm not happy with it in this moment so it feels a lot harder to ideate and it doesn't feel like I'm ready to solutionize yet but obviously sometimes you just have to accept that that's part of it and that's when sometimes I bring that ambiguity with me in the solution space so yeah 
and that is quite uncomfortable uh but again you know it's you you have to just embrace it and then it's all about focusing on validating through uh testing and learning with users so then at least you you, you have you can see the lights at the end of the tunnel by then anyway <laughs> Yeah, there was something you, you said earlier when you were talking about the doors <laughs> that, that open when you do discovery and and a lot of it leads to more ambiguity that you have all these open doors and uh, eventually you just you need to make decisions and focus and close a lot of doors and then go with a specific one. Um, I find that often when we kind of, yeah, again, ex- you know, close doors, accept that there's stuff behind some of those doors. It's we don't know what it is. We could perceive it, but you know what? We're we're just gonna like make a decision now and and deal with that ambiguity. Sometimes when you make that decision and pursue that more specific focused path, um, sometimes that that helps clarify a lot of the things that were ambiguous. Um, so in a way being decisive making decisions even though you don't have all the answers and even though you feel like there's lots of mess uh, in the background in terms of your insights and what you're learning and don't know um sometimes those you know just not ignoring that but making a decision moving on that leads to enlightenment uh, as well and, and that aha moment All right, I think we've done a good exploration of uh, ambiguity in the discovery process. Hopefully you're not feeling too ambiguous right now. <laughs> um, let's jump in into our segment, which is about gratitude. Uh, so Susan, what are you grateful for this week? Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, th- this week's gratitude is, well, I'm grateful for this uh, no, actually, you know what? I'm not great. I'm not good. I'm not being good <laughs> enough at being grateful about this every week. And that's why I'm extra grateful about it this this week, which is um, that I can move around <laughs> with ease. And by, and by that, the context for saying this is I, I took two weeks um, off the gym uh, when I went on holiday, which was great because I think I was a bit overtrained. And then I came back, went back to the gym and oh my gosh, I am so sore and it's been so hard to move around. <laughs> and it's like, it's, it's sometimes it's, you need, you need things to be taken away from you. Like my ability to walk at pace and walk up and down stairs without spending two hours because I'm so sore, you know, look, th- those basic things, sometimes I need those taken away to really appreciate and and be thankful that when I when I'm not that sore when I do have a consistent gym habit then um yeah I I it's it's so nice to be able to move around freely so I'm, I'm getting there I'm I'm I'm, I'm getting there it's, it's things are still very painful but yeah grateful for having a body that usually moves around well <laughs> yeah I think we should all feel grateful every day to have a functioning body for sure um, I I feel you pain. I have exactly the same issue when I go back to the gym after the holiday, especially after eating tons of pizza and pasta in Italy. <laughs> Definitely not easy. Um, this week, I would say that I am grateful just generally in in the last month um, between doing the podcast and then also I've started a couple of other personal projects uh, as hobbies. Uh, recently 
uh, received my full frame camera, which I've been thinking of investing in for quite a while to do better videography and photography. So I've just been feeling quite creative lately. So yeah, just feeling quite grateful for this. Um, there's been times in my life where I just felt super bland and had no idea what to create, even though I just had the desperate urge to create something. So I feel like it's, yeah, I'm in a good space in, in, in that sense. So I'm, I'm grateful and I'm hoping that I can nurture this for as long as possible. So yeah, that's really exciting. Yeah, em embrace it when it's here because it's, it's the best thing, <laughs> creativity. Okay, so this is it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening in. And if you would like to find out a little bit more about us, you can find us on Twitter at UX underscore maturity. And otherwise, we will see you next week for a new theme and obviously a new episode. So see you next week. See you next week.